0: Hello everyone, you are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwall-Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change, and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system. Okay, hello everybody and thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. And Today, we have a guest that I've been, again, wanting to have on for the longest time, and we've been trying to coordinate our schedules. I have Lisa Stocky, and did I pronounce that right?
1: Um, I was Stockie. actually going to say that I'm, I'm glad that you pronounced it in the old uh, Norse way.
0: Okay. Like, we're both well, we'll Norwegian just roll women, this. <laughs> so I'll take it. <laughs> I'm finding that I'm one of those people that I just kind of interpret it, and then I run with it, and I need to be better about double-checking with people, but... You and I are yeah. Norwegian, so hey, that works. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and this is great. So welcome, Lisa. I'm so glad you could join us today. Lots yeah. to talk about.
1: Yeah, thank you, Joni. Yeah, it was, Um, you know, you and I were recently able to get together face-to-face.
0: Yes. Uh, I guess that was just last week. Um, it was. Over the best yeah. meal I've had in years and the best company, I mean, I, I'm yeah. really lucky in that I get to talk to amazing and interesting, educated people all the time, but I have to say. That dinner um, was just one of the most fantastic highlights of the year so far. So thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Wasn't it?
0: Yeah. No, Yes, thank you. Fantastic. So today, I mean, there's so many things to talk to you about because you are like such a legacy maker in the whole world of food advocacy and organics and transparency in the food system. And I was thinking about what our focus should be today. I mean, you and I are both mm-hmm. moms too. So we have this okay. different, like I've yeah. noticed like, with moms involved in regenerative and food advocacy, there is a slightly different flavor. It's like that mom heart that's totally, you know, not yeah. going to back down because we're protecting our our future generations. And I think it's a very unique angle into regenerative advocacy and food system yeah. advocacy. So I thought today we could make our focus kind of like food, which is really at the crosshairs of agriculture, politics, business, and human health. I mean, mm-hmm. it's right there in the middle. And you are what I consider to be the original, one of the original snacktivists, <laughs> <I am. laughs> which is why I love that word.
1: <laughs> yeah, I so. do. I, lo- I I love that too. Um, I really took that as a compliment when I saw that in your in your show notes. For yeah,
0: me. nice. <laughs> so <laughs> as, as as yeah, no problem. So, I I would love for our guests today. You know, they may not be familiar with the work that you've done, but I mm-hmm. I remember stumbling across your work as you know involved in food advocacy at a grassroots level here and. Alaska and in Northern Idaho, um, your work with food democracy now, Mm -hmm. years ago, years ago. And um, it's just so fun to meet the people behind the movement. And I think that makes it extra special. And for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with, um, your background and, you know, being born and raised in Iowa, I would love for you to just back up to where you grew up and what your experiences were and what, what were, what was the path that led you to where we are today? Yeah,
1: thank you. I, 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 I admit, I still struggle with telling, telling that with brevity, mm-hmm. but um, I always try to, and this will just be another opportunity, I guess, to <laughs> practice that with some efficiency. <laughs> um, but as you noted, I, I grew up in Iowa, um, I, you know, born and raised born in a little town called Forest City, where they make, you know, something people have heard of probably Winnebago's, you know. Oh, and yeah. I, yeah, that's the it's town American that icon.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: And both of my parents um, come from farming backgrounds, my dad a little bit more removed, but a couple generations back, you know, if you look, they were, they were farmers and artisans. My mother's specifically grew up on, um, a farm. She was a farm girl, uh, oldest of Mm -hmm. seven kids on a working farm. And so I had a lot of opportunities to go out to my grandparents Mm -hmm. home and they, um, you know, they essentially were, they were not very financially well off and the house and the barn and everything were always in shambles, even though they really worked very hard
0: and Mm -hmm. they had,
1: um, kind of the traditional farm you know old mcdonald's farm they had pigs and cows and chickens and geese and you know crops and you know yeah you know they did it they did everything they did dairy they did meat they did you know wow
0: yeah
1: a, um, not very, very much of that anymore around no. i mean
0: that's really a very unique lifestyle that kind of had a mm-hmm. i i not to sound terminal but like an extinction period over the last Absolutely. 50 years you just don't see that anymore
1: Yeah. In the United States. Totally true. And, um, and I watched, I, I I didn't realize that that's what I was observing, you know, was that process of that, that, that flourishing to that, to that, and that way of life to that extinction. But then on the Mm -hmm. other side of my family, on my, my father's side, I had, um, it's kind of like a rich dad, poor dad situation where I watched his, his family, um, my aunt and my uncle, uh, go the opposite direction with um, mm-hmm. what was being fostered at that time, you know, through, you know, what we understand now as being, you know, Ear- Earl Butts-style um, policy in agriculture at the USDA mm-hmm. of that, you know, basically the model of get big or get out. And mm-hmm. so they got big. And I don't even know how many acres they had, but as a child I watched them rip down the old farmhouse that they <laughs> that my cousins and them grew up in, build a very big home, you know, with, you know, two kitchens and it was like the best play area as mm-hmm. a kid have big, huge combines and millions of dollars yeah. worth of equipment, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a, kind of the backdrop for my childhood with regard to, I guess my food activism. And I, I didn't really realize until many years later
0: yeah.
1: that, that, that was my observation um, mm-hmm. as as a kid, And I, of course, didn't really have a lot of opinions on it and I didn't know what was causing it. But then as I got older and I began, you know, I kind of began my journey with food mostly through being an environmentalist, being somebody Mm -hmm. who's always been, you know, wanted to have um, a connection with earth and nature as, Mm -hmm. as a child and, then seeing in as a young adult, um, or becoming to understand how our food system impacted our environment, and right and so significantly, I, yeah, and so I became just rather in my mind logically um, mm-hmm. that okay, well I don't want to support a, a system with my dollars um, going to that, and so I mm-hmm. began to seek out organic food, and at that time right. I had to drive all the way down to Iowa city, which is about a three or three, four hour drive for me wow. and go to the new pioneer food co-op. You know, I did that when I was oh, yeah. you know, 19, 20, yep. 21, whatever. And then when I began to have children, which I did rather early when I was 22, mm-hmm. um, I had my first child of four. I was like, Oh gosh. Um, then I began to understand all of the issues with the food itself right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just a lot of the toxins and whatever that were associated therein. And so I had to really figure out how I was mm-hmm. going to feed my child in this, you know, no. the irony of the food desert that I was in in Iowa.
0: Right. And so then I Which is the, ironic. I mean, it's the breadbasket yeah. of America. Yeah, exactly. it's a food desert. Like to me, that's always been such a fascinating paradox. Yeah,
1: it's it's a it's a real tragedy. For Mm -hmm. Iowa and Iowans, in my experience. Mm -hmm. Right. And I used to have to drive two hours one way up to Minneapolis to the co-ops up there, primarily to the Wedge co-op. A lot of people Mm -hmm. are familiar with the Wedge. It's still there and thriving, I believe. And I was really grateful for that opportunity. But yet, as I got on and had, you know, more children, and I also came to realize that even though, you know, and they started to go to school, and despite my efforts To feed them to the best of my ability and really turning that into a lifestyle, having to drive down to Ames, Iowa, an hour and a half away to that Mm -hmm. co-op, drive up to Minneapolis to that co-op and bring back food. And then I would witness all of the poisons um, going into our um, air and water and soil Mm -hmm. where we physically lived. And I knew there was no way that that was not Mm -hmm. impacting my kids plus the Mm -hmm. school food and whatever. And so that was when I just, you know, in my mind, I was like, there's no democracy here. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have a say so. And so that was where the vision of food democracy, you know, came up for me. Mm -hmm. And then I joined with, um, another fellow Iowan who came up with the concept of now we want it now. And so that was food democracy.
0: Yeah, And we were both
1: very political and we just kind of, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of a, a big and long story, which I, I don't really need to go into here, but, you know, we began to petition, you know, the Obama administration and mm-hmm. the candidates, um, you know, we launched the food and family farm presidential summit in 2007 and put these issues mm-hmm. in front of, you know, yeah. of farmers, um, wanting to produce good food in front of these candidates. Nice. And we just kind of took off from there. Um, You know, we took off
0: fast, if I recall. I mean, I did. Yeah, I just feel Mm -hmm. like it it was out of left field and just kind of took off like wildfire in these groups of people who are focused on healthy eating and reducing the toxin load in our farm and food systems. And it's a small community, especially back then. I think it was smaller, but I feel like the work that you did there really helped to elevate the conversation around why you know, healthy access to organic and healthy foods is not just a, Hey, that's your choice. If you can afford it, great. It's actually, there is a huge democracy issue or an equity issue because really it should be available to everybody. I mean, you shouldn't have to spend more to consume less toxicity in your food. Like it's a weird, it's a weird economic paradigm that we're living in where the more processed and heavily fortified and heavily sprayed etc it is the cheaper it is which from an economic standpoint makes no sense that's where politics and you know subsidies and all that stuff get in so I I, I love that you've worked in that space because I find food policy and all of that to be very daunting like it's actually a a space I don't usually touch a whole lot it's not my wheelhouse I find it intimidating Um, I also find it sometimes very discouraging because sometimes you find that somebody that you admire or you thought really stood for something or a brand that you really loved and then you dig down deep and you're like wait a minute you're not actually doing what you say you're trying to do it's actually like a ruse or greenwashing or whatever you want to call yeah. it and yeah. that's that's a hard emotional thing to swallow
1: yeah yeah it is i i i echo everything that you said and um it's been a while since i have engaged um and what a lot of people a lot of people called our work tip of the spear work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we did launch a number of, you know, I guess actions, if you will, initiated a number of things that were mm-hmm. made a lot of people uncomfortable, you know, that were making the rules. Mm-hmm. And um I guess I made the decision, you know, probably like five five years ago when I did kind of my last work like that, which I guess I I, don't know, I can't say that I'm not ever going to like push back on anything again. You know, you and I both came in through that, um, you know, Viking lineage. It's kind of in our right. blood, but yeah. um... <laughs> definitely
0: <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: um, funny how that works, <laughs> right? Um, but you know, I guess I I had to really take a step back. You know, kind of the last thing that I'm referring to is is uh, pushing back on the allowance of hydroponics and an organic, organic certification. And I mm-hmm. launched a campaign through my organization, Next Seven um in twenty seventeen called Protect Organic. And I did it with um many of the foundational farmers of organic in the u s.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, I just I saw that like yet again, even though we had dozens of farmers actually fly into the meeting in Jacksonville, Florida, and I organized a number of, you know, organic companies or, you know, and, and, and including, um, Patagonia, which is of course an organic company, but, um, I helped to spearhead that with with Rose Macario rather. She really helped me to spearhead that, um, -hmm. um, and Bronner's and whatever. And then they organized a lot of these really good organic companies, um, Mm -hmm. to stand with us on that. And even though we had those enforcements, which is why I'm bringing that up, He's showing mm-hmm. up at the meeting saying, this is what organic is. Organic is in the soil. You actually look at the organic farming or the organic food production act, rather, and you see mm-hmm. that it says soil, you know, you have to produce yeah. this. It's in a soil, soil-based system.
0: Yeah, it's a Even soil-based then, system. We, yeah. we
1: lost, you know, but, and the funny thing is, is that we had a lot of the, you know, I guess foundational organic institutions um, mm-hmm. against us in that, mm. um, companies and associations and certifiers. And mm-hmm. you notice I'm like being careful to not mention any names. Sure. Um, if, if you were to, to, to ask me offline, I would tell you, but, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, that was the surprising thing, I think. So a lot of people that these, you know, organic, institutions were actively Mm -hmm. working against us to Mm -hmm. now not be on the side of organic because it's better for people and planet. But instead, it's really good for our bottom line. And so, you know, the growth through Mm -hmm. finances has become, you know, the the north, at least from a USDA certification standpoint
0: right i mean and you do look at the financial growth of the organic sector in the last 20 years and it's just been at a sustained KAR rate like compound annual growth rate which is yeah definitely attracting money because they want that the returns associated with it but not necessarily concerned with what the triple bottom line is when you grow organic as an industry like you have people Planet and profit all yep. working together. And if you eliminate the two first two Ps and you're only focused on the profit, you're not going to have a holistic model.
1: That's very well said. I a thousand percent agree with that. And the, you know, the one thing that I would also like to stress with that, um, because I realize it's kind of a deviation from this conversation, is organic, but um, Sadly, that's like kind of the best that people a lot of people can do, right? Is just mm-hmm. find organic certified. And so I think that it's yeah. important for people to understand um, as they're doing their shopping and they're purchasing, you know, for themselves mm-hmm. and their families, especially if they're seeking it for, you know, health purposes, mm-hmm. is to know that one what has facilitated that growth, one of one of the factors that has been key in facilitating that growth is the um, Watering down of the standards. Right. And so it's not that all of these companies, some of them have, of course, but I'm not saying that across the board, but many of these companies yeah. didn't, didn't scale up to meet the standards. Yeah. They instead went to the meetings to lobby. They, attended they lobbied numerous, numerous meetings yeah. and yeah. they would go there, hat in hand saying, you know, please let us have carrageenan because we really need organic gummy bears and we really right. need to have, you know, smooth organic chocolate pudding, you know? Yeah. And then that's kind of how, you know, the process goes and it gets degraded. You know, mm-hmm. people people are always shocked when I tell them that when we were advocating on the hydroponic issue at several meetings, organic, you know, National Organic Centers Board meetings, that it would be like Scott's Miracle Girl there saying What? Yeah,
0: yeah. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Wow. Be- wow. Because they were producing or wanting to produce at scale the Um, products that they could, you know, get on the OMRI list that could be used Mm -hmm. in hydroponic Mm -hmm. production and then have it be called organic. And there's a lot of problems with that. Um, And I I don't know I could totally go into that, Um, but people say, well, if we're going to have hydroponic, don't we want it organic? And it's like, well, the way to really look at that is not so much that you don't want chemicals in your hydroponic first is to ask yourself is hydroponic nutritious and good for me? Second thing is what is the impact on that on organic farmers because they can't compete economically. It's a vertical Mm -hmm. integration. Um, Mm -hmm. This is my policy person coming out, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's a vertical integration of the vegetable and food supply. You know, they vertically integrated meat and dairy, you know, chicken, poultry, all of these things. And I advocated on these issues in 2009, the antitrust USDA DOJ hearings. And now the hydroponic is a means to vertically integrate uh, vegetables and fruit. So now they don't really have, hmm. they don't really need farmers anymore.
0: They just hmm. need, you know, That's an interesting angle. That, I never thought about back. it from this angle. <laughs> You're kind of blowing my mind right now.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, wow. that's the direction that the industrial food supply is heading. And so for sure. me, I'm kind of like, and you, we're kind of going in this other direction to say, well, how can we more deeply connect with nature? you know, to provide our nourishment and our sustenance. And that's, I think, behind the regenerative movement,
0: right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is like a very nature based solution. Yeah, you know, um, movement. And yeah, there is this divergence, for sure, where it is the industrial path, versus the nature based solution path, which are both scalable. I mean, I think there's often a lot of confusion about whether the nature-based solution ones are scalable. They certainly Mm -hmm. are. And, you know, even, you know, just coming off of a recording with Ray Archuleta yesterday and how he came from very conventional agricultural background and was through the process of studying for generate, like for decades, studying organic systems and biological systems, biology is the center of the universe for our planet. Mm -hmm. And um, when do you, when you remove that, you know, from being the center you, you get a dysfunctional broken system. Um, and no yep. matter how you want to candy yep. coat it, no matter what certifications or, you give or it or whatever. It or certified. <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly. Yep. yep. And, and, and like for me personally, I think that there are some good use case scenarios for hydroponics in densely populated areas where they have major food issues, like ex- accessing fresh foods and there's no air- land cause it's all developed like densely populated mm-hmm. high rise environments, etc. cetera, like where they have rooftop systems. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're setting up an an actual food system where you have one faction competing against the other faction, I haven't ever thought about it like that. Um, that can be really dangerous.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a slow drip, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's my that's my major concern, I guess, if I have a concern with hydroponic systems. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I saw an article the other day, um, I think it was in Civil Eats talking about, you know, hydroponic systems in schools. And, mm-hmm. you know, my my concern with that is, you know, showing that to our next generations as a means for food production, you know, as a mainstay or as like right you know, when I was a kid, we used to go out, (laughs) out, right. We, as I was a kid, we used to go out to the farms. Right. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of kids, of course, in my generation that didn't grow up with grandparents on farms or parents Mm -hmm. like I did. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and you know, of course in Iowa, we had a lot of farms and you, you, it really did open your eyes. It's like, oh my gosh, that, you know, um, like Fred Kirshenman, um, who's, you know, I have a deep amount of respect for. Um, he's my board president and a longtime friend and um, mentor to me. Um, and he used to be president of Stone Barns. And he used to say that we would have kids come out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they would be like, you know, there's dirt on that carrot. You know, why is it? Right. How did it get dirty? You
0: know, or whatever. Right,
1: <laughs> or right. <laughs> Yeah, And yeah. Um, I think for him, as you know, he's been a farmer his entire life with a little stint, not a stint, but uh, a period where he was a professor and then he went back to the farm, converted mm-hmm. it to organic and biodynamic. He has an amazing story for anyone who doesn't uh, know it. My Father's Garden is a hmm. beautiful film that was made about his his life and his journey. have seen
0: that. Yeah, yeah I'd love to see that. Well, we'll have to put that in the show notes. Um, yes. Yeah. For me a, and for our listeners, We're- it's always fun to find something that's um a joy to watch and inspiring and educational at the same time. Uh,
1: yes. Yep. Yeah. And that's what, mm-hmm. story, that's what this story that's what the story is. Um my Very father's cool. garden. And so, um, you know, I think as a farmer, that was a little bit eye opening for him to realize that these future generations had deviated so far, right? Yeah. And yeah. so that is that's that's sort of my concern with hydroponic mm-hmm. systems. You know, is that we rea- mm-hmm. that we do realize that it is a, it is an addendum. It's not.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's not captive described. biology.
1: <laughs> it's right. captive biology. I used to yeah. build
0: hydroponic systems for a company called Earth Juice in the late '90s, and mm-hmm. um, I had a botany degree and went out and got a job and I was preparing to go to the Amazon to do some really cool ethnobotany work. And it, I had a few months, and I'm like, oh, this will be a cool job, and it's all organic and um, they they had a specialty in organic hydroponics and I was like I want to learn about that that's really fascinating uh-huh. granted as it turns out late 90s California dra- building organic hydroponic systems you can guess who the customers were <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then I and then it got really weird because like what, you know one of them would get in trouble with the law and suddenly they'd be following me someone would be following me home to where I was living and I'm like okay, this is not what I said (laughs) to do, you know, and, 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 and it's just, but it's been really fascinating. Like it kind of was foundational to my thinking about food systems and that whole, um, bifurcation when you do go down the industrial captive biology system versus like intact, holistic biological systems that then become self-sustaining. I mean, you will never, I mean, I, you know, was really fascinated by like tilapia farming and floating Aztec gardens. And like, that was kind mm. of where my mind was going right, with hydroponics, yeah. but that's not really where it's at. Um, right. And, and it, and it's, it is a rub point that I don't think most people are aware of. Um, I Yeah, I agree. They just aren't deep enough in food system thinking to really see the difference. And like, you know, i I just look at your work with food democracy now. And, you know, as far as like, when you, when you all founded it early on, like, really, what were some of the big goals that you set out to, to accomplish with your organization? Or did it kind of unfold naturally yeah. and organically in response to like, what the current events were? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that's a good question. Um, I used to, I used to kind of call myself, I'm not call myself, but I used to think of myself as a minuteman, you know, mm-hmm. because I was in this industrialized, Mm Um, I used, I mean, Iowa began to feel more like a factory to me. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that we, that in Iowa, we, um, at that time, I'm sure the statistics are different now because I've been gone from there for almost a decade, but, Mm -hmm. um, it was like nine hogs to every human in the state of Iowa. And we were the largest egg laying state and the largest corn producing state and, I know mm-hmm. that's still true. Cause I actually just looked up that stat the other day mm-hmm. and um, compared mm-hmm. to like Illinois, Illinois and Iowa, are the two largest, but Iowa is still more wow. than Illinois. So by far, far and wide, we produce the most, uh, I don't know, harder it's crops. I'll say crops. It's not even, I don't even think of it as food really. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, for this industrialized system. And yeah, it, I, you know, I, so I kind of, you know, somebody looking for food for my kids, as I was saying earlier, I was, you know, I don't know, I guess beholden to be in that location after, you know, having children mm-hmm. um, so I felt like that was the best thing for them, you know, with regard to family and place and all, yeah. all that to stay there. Right. And um, so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm kind of resigning myself to the fact that I need to be here for a little while longer And Mm -hmm. so I think it was probably, I don't know what year it was. I'm going to guess 2005 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I began to just do, you know, act, act locally, I guess. I used to have this bumper sticker on my, my, you know, Volkswagen that said, Mm -hmm. you know, think globally, act locally.
0: I love that sticker. Right. I had one on, I had one of those.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we and I'm I'm I was having a meeting this morning and I'm I'm noticing how I'm just I'm really coming back around full circle to that mm-hmm. thinking, um, which is probably another conversation. But that's how I started was just in my own community, just introducing yeah. foods that were local and hosting dinners.
0: Or, I remember you talking you know, about hosting it. these dinners that yeah. would be mind opening to people.
1: Yep. Yep. They they were. They it turned into a slow food group and I became a slow food mm-hmm. leader. And I was really fortunate to be, you know, in a in a place and location and have people there, um, the Willis Willis family, Paul and Phyllis Willis, who um Paul um, helped to start Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Joined oh, with Bill yeah. Nyman at that time. And um it was a means for farmers. It was, you know, producing, you know, better quality food, but also for farmers to be able to continue to keep their animals on land and pasture and not have to move yeah. into an industrialized confinement system, which was, right. which was massive, especially at that yeah. time.
0: Yeah. Uh, super massive. In that direction. And yeah. And, so, and there are a lot of farmers that don't want to do that. And if they yeah. have a path to market yeah. that offers them yeah. an alternative yeah, they are happy to pursue that. And it's not usually just a decision of money. I mean, they have to have like a, a channel so that it's profitable and viable from a business perspective yep. and often more profitable and viable than the industrial way, which is usually squeezing every penny out of the value yep. chain to maximize profits. Um, and I, I, it, I'm i interested to hear a little bit in your work, like talking to yep. farmers What, what did you hear from your Iowa farmers that had really gone through that big, go big, go home? Iowa has been historically the hotbed of farmer suicides has the highest rate of farmer suicides of any state in the nation, Mm -hmm. even now. And that really started to trend up in the nineties.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a very predatory system or it can be, um, Mm -hmm. there's no question about it. Um, i had i I watched that suffering with my grandfather, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, so i I have a visceral experience of that. Um, so I, I you know, I would say there's a lot of things that come to my mind when you ask about the starting of food democracy now. And one of the people that was really pivotal in in helping us to launch and encouraging us was Michael Pollan.
0: Mm-hmm. And we
1: were you know, in close, you know, collaboration with Michael. He didn't, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't really want to be called a founder, but I can I can certainly point to his influence um, mm-hmm. as we were writing these letters to the Obama administration asking for a secretary of agriculture with a background in sustainability. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what really struck a chord with people. And after we did launch that petition and we garnered, I think around 130,000 comments in like a week and a half.
0: Yeah. Wildfire. mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And that's actually what launched our organization
0: of Mm -hmm. what we had kind
1: of been imagining. And, Mm -hmm. and after we did all this and we very quickly went to meeting with the secretary of agriculture that was appointed, who was Tom Vilsack, who was our governor, who I can, um, solidly say that he facilitated a lot of the industrialization of Iowa. Mm. Um, um, as as a senator and as a governor in the 90s um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we could kind of see the writing on the wall of where things were probably headed and we had a meeting with him, you know, and right after he took office, he didn't even have his, you know, staff together yet. And, you know, after all of that whirlwind, you know, we kind of settled back and we're just like, you know, what are we to do now? And it was someone like Michael who said, you guys are from the belly of the beast You have a really unique voice and you should probably stick around. I think it'd be great if you stuck around and created an organization and, and we did, and we had met people like, you know, the really wonderful women at farm aid and Mm -hmm. we got our first check, if you will, to give us our start, uh, signed by Willie Nelson. Wow. And it, it, yeah, we started out quite organically, if you will. Yeah. Yep. and we were just—it didn't make sense at all. Um, I remember we were really, you know, kind of like struggling for money um, personally and finding mm-hmm. our footing. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is—you know—what are we not, doing? Are we doing this for Why money? are we doing
0: this again?" Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, and you know, I—I I remind people of that sometimes when I've spoken at conferences in the past and said, you know, I'm really just—I'm—I am a mom from Iowa. And I saw these issues, and I wanted to engage, and I wanted to use my energy um, to to make a difference. And that mm-hmm. hasn't changed for me. I'm I right. my positioning as I go about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. I work probably more on tuning into. Um, I I guess I think of it as like a different frequency of you know building the new. You know, mm-hmm. Bucky Fuller very eloquently. Encapsulated that, you know, in a very well-known quote of, um, you know, t- tuning into the new reality, building the new, because yeah. it makes the old one obsolete. Right, and that's,
0: that's my favorite Buckminster Fuller quote. Right, honestly, yeah, because it just and makes so much sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, and mm-hmm. and I also believe, as a student of quantum physics, throughout my adult life you know all the time learning more and more about that through practice if you will as opposed to concept of you know what we focus on we create more of mm-hmm. and so i had to really ask myself that question as an activist of like you know am i an activist on the problem which you know in physics terms is increasing or growing that problem right. you know through anger fear yep. you know whatever We're focusing on what we think is the problem and thereby expanding it.
0: Right, rather than solution, solution focus.
1: The solutions, the the antidotes, the awareness, the building, the using our divine Mm -hmm. spark as for creation, right? And Mm -hmm. as opposed to being victims of a system. And so- That
0: is a very important point right there. I have to say- Cause I, I totally agree with you and I know some amazing activists that I, I, I see where their heart is and I respect where they're coming from, but I agree that by just being so focused on the problem, but not offering a bridge to a solution, they kind of do get sucked into the quagmire of just Eddie being in an eddy spinning around and around and never getting out of the problem. And then the problem just gets bigger and bigger instead of going away. Yes. Mm Yeah. And
1: yeah. And of course, through your work, you are obviously focusing on solutions. You know, you've Mm -hmm. been, you were, you were ahead of me there, you know, while I was fighting, (laughs) you were like creating the solutions.
0: (laughs) I just, I like, I was like, gosh, you know what? Like I, as a mom too, I think that that's a Mm -hmm. powerful experience when you're sitting there and you're looking at what your kids are eating and what they want to eat and, and then all the other kids. And I'm like, I finally had this like epiphany where I'm like, and this sounds horrible, but I was like, I don't know if I can save my kids from this. Mm. But if I put my efforts into building a better system, maybe there's hope for all the grandkids out there, not just mine. And that there's this weird departure where instead of like being obsessed with what my kids are eating and what their exposures are, I was like, I'm going to just, I'm going to have to like walk away from that a little bit and let let it be. I mean, I've tried to instill them with the best decision making skills possible, but we yeah. do live in a world where the vast majority of food that's available is pretty darn toxic and contributing to a toxic system. And I think I'm going to contribute more to the world by helping build a solution that hopefully will become a, a, a changemaker in the broader system down the road with hopes that all of our grandkids and great grandkids will find natural foods to be the norm and processed Frankenstein's foods to be the exception, something for special occasion or not for consume consumption every day.
1: Yeah, no, a a thousand Mm -hmm. percent.
0: I'm, I'm I'm right there.
1: I'm right there with you. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm right there with you. I've, and I guess that's where the concept of next seven generations for me comes in. I mean, obviously it's not something that I, I own. It's something that has been handed down to us through, um, you know, throughout humanity, right? That we right. Um, that when we act and behave and create our our daily actions and our policies, you know, of how we engage with the earth and you know, create our societal systems, that we do it with a focus on future generations to their mm-hmm. benefit, that we really won't go wrong. if that's our if that's mm-hmm. our North, of benefit mm-hmm. for future generations. And of course we see this as a, how it shows up in like epigenetics, right? When we right. look at the science of human, human biology, right? And oh that a conversation about the microbiome the other night, right? Yes. With a, yeah. a fellow mom and, you know, medical researcher, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And we're, we're finding evidence of that, of how important that is. And yes. I used to think of my daughter, um, I remember saying to her, and it was when we lived out in Massachusetts and I would really was diving into this work with Bionutrients Food Association. And, um, I, I looked, I looked at her and I, and she was not at that age where she was thinking about having kids, but she was at biologically the age where she could, right. Psychologically, mm-hmm. she wasn't there, but biologically she yeah. was. <laughs> and, and I told her about you know, I said, you know, you, the egg, your egg that will produce your child was inside of me. And so yeah. what I ate, what I tuned into energetically and, mm. you know, my physical body, you know, I guess resonated at and the food resonated at, you know, the information of the food that was going into my body mm-hmm. is directly impacting your child. Is not wild right and also i noted the other side of it that the year my daughter was born 1996 was the year that genetically engineered soybean or genetically engineered crops were approved you know yeah market food supply and all of that
0: yeah and we changed all the allowable levels of glyphosate and others um to accommodate that Mm -hmm. market shift Mm -hmm. yep and now we have an epidemic of food related allergies and all kinds of other things is it a coincidence
1: right not likely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and right. so
1: I just I kind of reminded her of that. That I said, as your peers start having children, you will probably start to see the impacts of these decisions. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. that that your parents made and are and at a policy level was made right that changed yeah. the the agricultural landscape, right? Wow. And and so and then therefore our food supply. And so really, as you noted. We're seeing the impacts of that now.
0: I I honestly feel like this is partially why as women and as moms, there is a slightly different flavor to the like evangelical nature and dedication to making these regenerative systems work because it's like, Mm. we all feel that inside of us, like, you know, that whole, like, okay, that egg that made, you know, and then when it was, you know, that it crosses generations. It's not ours to own. It's like belongs to the future. And I think that is a unique perspective that the women that I know that are in the regenerative movement, um, have a, a different zeal and a different fire of like, mm-hmm. I'll do this. I'll die. I'll, I'll die on the Hill fighting. Cause I'm not fighting for me. I'm fighting for the future generations.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, even for for myself, you know, again, like you, I, I I have no desire to disrespect anyone's work in that way, but I've I've turned away from I well, don't turn away from, but I mean, I've mostly um, tried to just observe within myself that fighting energy, mm-hmm. and move that into that creator energy, right? Yeah. Because when I look at the Solution when I look speller. at the planet. And I lean in mm-hmm. in a very humble way, which I think the regenerative, you know, philosophy and movement is inviting us to do is to mm-hmm. initiate that biomimicry, right? And the concept yes. of biomimicry, of course, is not new. Um, but I, I believe that that's what we're called to, to do right now at this time, humanity, um, as we begin to rethink our societal systems, you know, of you know, whether it be our economy, or our education, or technology, or design, and how we live our lives—you know, mm-hmm. within our homes and these boxes we've created—that um, that we lean into nature, and yeah. we look at what, it is how nature is showing design us design thinking. Yeah, the,
0: exactly. Design thinking. Exactly. <laughs> it's the regenerative by design experience where it's this yeah. new lens that we look through the world, and we. We build all of our layering that makes our world tick through regenerative yeah. lens, you know, that yeah. that basically plays into what your statement at next seven is where it's we are dedicated to shifting towards a society that coexists harmoniously with the natural world and with each other and where prosperity yep. is sustainable and shared. And that's a yeah. really important um, philosophy because it, it it's what sets future generations up for success. And I I just think on that note, it's fantastic. And um, Lisa, I want, you know, to, you know, just in wrapping it up, because we're at the top of the hour, um, what do you think the biggest action item is for people who are listening and people who want to help and want to to contribute? They don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have their own full time jobs and they're managing their families and all the other things that they're doing. And they're like, what can I do to be a part of this? Yeah, maybe they're financially yeah. constrained, and they're like, "I don't feel like I can participate in organic because I can't afford it."
1: Yeah, what yeah, can yeah. People no, that's, do? A, that's an important question. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'll just I'll, I'll i'll briefly preface that by saying that you know, I'm that work for myself is expressing itself um, through my own organization, Next Seven, and also through the BioNutrient Institute, of which we're a founder. And the BioNutrient mm-hmm. Institute um, seeks to um you know i i i've as i've had to di- you know dive into this with my co-founder dan Kittridge, um the the importance of the exploration of it and okay. as we are asking ourselves these questions about the involvement and about the action as you're saying and i think for us it's about shifting to a different paradigm of of encouraging and inviting the exploration inviting the conversation inviting um a different paradigm of of thinking Mm
0: -hmm. outside of labels
1: if you will and and mechanistic paradigm of certification and it isn't to criticize any of that specifically but i see Mm -hmm. the process that we've come through with certification of organic and you know, I don't know. What whatever, whatever label you can think of, that that was kind of the best we could do at the time and mm-hmm. we see it as an as a continuum and as an iterative process. That yeah. it's not an arrival state, but it's always this constant leaning in with curiosity and humility to nature and life and earth and the cosmos and what it has to teach us about, mm-hmm. you know, nourishing ourselves and our lives. And as we lean more into that and tune into that resonance and emulate that um, on an individual level and in our homes and even in our communities, we are introducing that to others around us to also, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, tune into that, to that space and to feed and nourish ourselves Mm -hmm. from, from that place. Right. um, Right. We we found from a scientific perspective with the BioNutrient Institute is that these these very deep um, knowings within us, if you will, um, through being biological connected beings, is validated by what we've studied in mm-hmm. in the science. That that's where our food is most nourishing. It's not right. from a certification. We didn't find any correlation with certification and higher nutrient levels. It was Mm -hmm. from, like you said before, those tuning into biology as the predominant paradigm. Regeneration is a law of that biology. Everything regenerates. And when we eat our food in those natural regenerative systems, that's where the nutrition is. And it's really that simple. We don't wish to overcomplicate it. We want to simplify it.
0: That's That's amazing. Thank you for that, Lisa. Cause I think that also just gives people permission to enter this world just through thinking and through observation and that it's not something you have to show up for like well-financed and with tons of time on your hand, it literally starts with a change of heart, which is amazing because that's something that most people can start with. So I know our, I know our listeners are going to want to find more information about you you could just briefly tell us like where, where can they find you? What's the best way to learn about your current work and, and how to reach you if they have questions?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, my organizational website is next mm-hmm. Um We are on the the typical social media channels. Um, hopefully by this time we will mm-hmm. also be, have more of a presence on the, on a new social media channel called Vero, which I'm kind of inspired by because, they don't pay attention to your algorithms and your data and advertise to you and all of that. So I'm kind of inspired by that hmm. idea. Cool. So I invite yeah. people to check out Vero um, as far as social media goes. A lot of us know the issues with social media that are quickly emerging. Um, and then also through some yeah. of the stuff I just talked about with Bionutrient Institute, you know, our studies yes. are on there. Um, we talked about hydroponic Our hydroponic study is, mm-hmm. Yeah. is up there that we did through next seven Great. and you can see what we found is the differences between soil-based generative based mm-hmm. grown food versus hydrogen. yeah
0: we'll make sure to post those links so this has been fantastic i mean lisa as usual you and i can talk all day because we have always so much to unpack and
1: get yeah, excited right. about
0: the same things and i just am grateful that you shared an hour of your day with us and um yeah we'll. i i'm just i'm really grateful that we were able to take a deeper dive into your background and hear some cool stories that we can share with the world. So thank you listeners for joining us today. Don't forget to rate if you're listening to this on a platform that can be rated and share with your friends so we can spread the word and get people inspired. And again, build those new bridges and focus on solutions so that we leave our kids a better world. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us on the regenerative by design podcast. If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist, Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.